All right, folks, uh, welcome to Colin Shots here on a Monday afternoon. Um, I'm joined today by, uh, by a return guest because his team, the team he covers for The Athletic, uh, seems to uh, have a lot to discuss at all times. Um, the, the summer vacation, uh, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say summer vacation less, but summer vacation shortened, Alex Schiffer. Uh, Alex, how you doing? I'm good. I uh, very good description to bring us in. Uh, yeah, summer vacation short, and I should put that in my uh, like Twitter handle or something or, or bio. This is so uh, you know I can. Um, it actually involves one of the players, ironically enough. The um, the level of dread when you're involved in this, and and a player or or some a situation comes up in late July or August is. Uh, Unfun. If folks remember when uh, Kyrie demanded a trade the first time when he when he left Cleveland for Boston, it was right around this time of year, and that was uh, was while I was with the Bucks organization. And yeah, that was oh, I guess I guess we're working today uh, <laughs> a little bit when it was you know kind of it's supposed to be pretty light, and it's uh, given the intensity of, of of the season and how important it is to mentally recharge. I imagine it's the same for you as a beat writer. There's a little bit of kind of a puffing out of cheeks and an, oh man, what now? Yeah, it's funny, you know, um, I live by a couple of minor league baseball stadiums. So to kind of, as, as you know, from having worked at the Athletic, we have to have X amount of stories a month. And expecting a slow August, keyword is expecting, uh, I offered a couple of our baseball writers, you know, do you need me to go over to these places and get a couple <laughs> prospects? Because again, easy, easy lifting, right? Easy way to knock it out, you know. I joked that every prospect story is like a college recruiting story. You know, Seth Part now is a six foot four shooting guard from Milwaukee. This summer he's working on his jump shot. You know, this pitcher's working on adding a curveball this year. So, um, muscle so, season. So I uh, I get a call from Shams on Sunday, and we start working the the, the meeting of the, the day before. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, I guess I'm not going to need those minor league stories anymore. Like they dropped anyway, but it was one of those moments of, oh, I guess I did all that for nothing. <laughs> so, all right, I think that's the best place to start is since that's the latest is sort of the the, the most recent uh um non-resolution of kind of the the impasse between KD and the Nets. Yeah, uh Kevin Durant before taking in a Travis Scott concert with James Harden uh last Saturday, which as an aside, that concert looked awesome. Um he met with Josiah in London and uh, essentially said to him, it's either keep me or uh, fire Steve Nash or Sean Marks. Um, yeah, they said trade me or, uh, or fire them. And, uh, and that has since led to a, uh, an explosion of, of coverage on that, obviously. And now it's you know Pandora's box of what this means. I, I think we're now we're six weeks from training camp, if my math is right. Uh, time to flat circle now, Seth. But... Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so now and and also, you know, counting training camp spots. I mean, the Nets have six open roster spots right now, and uh, you know, there, there's been some rubblings. We might uh, we might get some some movement on that this week with some names. But uh, yeah, you know, the running joke Rob Peterson, my editor, and I have had you know throughout this past season is that the only thing certain about the Nets is uncertainty, and I feel like as we head into this coming season, that the same can still be said. So I. How I think most people seem to have taken the the demand of of the coach and GM being fired is it's not really that's that's not a that's not an ask with any expectation that's a that's a you know uh, Dean Keaton walks off the ship or or Kaiser Soze walks off the ship pours some gasoline drops a match I was gonna say uh, log on the fire yeah yeah um, this is like their this is their there's no coming back, it seems like, from that. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree. I, it's going to be interesting. You know, I, I've said before, I mean, you, you being around the NBA a long time, I, I, we've seen similar things to this in which the guy still plays, right? I mean, the, the whole awkward Dwight Howard, Stan Van Gundy thing, <laughs> I think that was 2012 or 13. Um, and uh, I want to say, uh, I, I think I'm right. Um and then obviously Carmelo Anthony in Denver that year where he got traded halfway through. The difference is obviously that um, 
you know, the Carmelo Anthony thing, he never called for George Carl and Masai Ujiri to get fired. And, I mean, Dwight Howard did with with uh, Jeff. No, sorry, Stan, wrong Van Gundy, brother. Uh, Jeff, I did it again. Stan Van Gundy, <laughs> SVG, um, but he still played and, and requested a trade in the offseason. So it wouldn't be totally unprecedented, but it would still kind of be unprecedented if that makes sense, right? So... I, uh, as much as there's no coming back from it, you know, I, I don't expect the Nets to really make any decisions on this until, you know, training camp approaches, but I think it kind of opens Pandora's box of questions. I mean, if Kevin Durant wants to play, do you suit him up? Do you sideline him like you did Kyrie? Because, you know, if he gets hurt, like he has the past two years, it all of a sudden hurts the trade value that you're trying to max out for him. Um, what does it mean for the rest of the rotation? I think there's a lot of interesting questions in terms of how the Nets play this going forward. Because I, as much as I would just say sideline, I do think there's some you know compelling arguments of playing him. And and is there like some sports movie moment where they start winning and he decides to take it all back, or um, or he just misses or he just misses playing and and the market doesn't develop the way he wants it to. I don't think those things are likely, but they are things that are just. Until they're clarified, they are out there in the open, right? But this seems this seems like, I mean, the, the, the get the demand got out there as fast as it did. I mean, I think we have to surmise that, like, that's sort of coming from this is you know, I'm not asking you to report something that that you don't have, but it, it wouldn't make any sense for that to come from the net side. So that is coming from KD's side, and that <laughs> seems like a step farther than any of these other things that, that we've talked about in terms of publicly, like, no, this is, this, this, this cannot work. This is, you know, I am uh, like, we are, we, we are, you know, salting, like whatever analogy you want to use about something that's irreversible, we're doing that. And it, and, and there's no coming back from it. Am I like, knowing that people have short memories, this just does seem like going further than I can remember any, anything, anyone going. Yeah, I agree. And I don't disagree with anything you just said. Uh, again, I think it's more than likely he's done playing for them. Uh, you know, this has been such a wild time on the beat for me. I've learned that just like Kevin Garnett once proclaimed anything's possible. Uh, I'm more, uh, I'm more throwing some of this stuff out there just because again, like so much crazy shit's happened that you weren't expecting. Like, that's why I, I, even if it's unlikely, I keep all things in mind on the table just because I've been I've been wrong too many times or thought uh, thought one thing was was close to absolute and it wasn't. So, no, I agree. I don't really think there's any any coming back from this. Um, it's going to be interesting to see again what the Nets like to me kind of quote thesis statement is on um, on media day and whatnot and in training camp because you know Sean Marks had said in his postseason press conference, you know. We need to get back to our roots that made us attractive to stars in the first place. Uh, we need to get back into player development and, and culture and all the buzzwords. You know well from your time in the front office. Um, and none of that's really happened, right? I mean, it's just been more of the same. If not, you know, the, the argument I've had with people is, does this drama uh, exceed what the Nets had drama-wise the past regular season? Or does it trump it already? Um, I, I think it's a good debate, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I to me, it's going to be very interesting to kind of see how they kind of get this train back on the tracks in some way, shape, or form. Because to me, you know, the the railroad and the the actual uh, engine are yards apart, you know, football fields apart right now in terms of how the Nets kind of talked about this going and their vision for this and how it's kind of played out. I'm I'm glad you you brought up that sort of po- that postseason presser because that's. That 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 the Marx's availability, where he talked about doing that, uh, is that I mean, without you know, wanting to you know cast blame or anything like that, but just in terms of like causality, was that what what would we consider the precipitating event to sort of this seemingly very hardline stance from Durant? I think it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I've thought the same thing. You know, depending upon who you talk to that's been around the situation, some people simply point to the New York vaccine mandate day that came out, you know, roughly a year ago or a little later uh, as the, the real domino that kind of started us to how we got here now. But I, I do think that, you know, um, I, I do think that there's there's 
legs there to saying that that was maybe the first domino, the, the Mark's press conference, I mean, just because he didn't commit to giving Kyrie Irving a, a long-term contract, and he didn't, right? You know, he, he, he kept his word on that, or, you know, he didn't commit to it, and, and you found Kyrie opting into the player option after trying to get his own sign-and-trade. Um, you know, he said, you know, after Kevin Durant had obviously heavy say in who got signed and, and some of the coaching staff, you look at Steve Nash's staff this past year, almost every assistant but Chuck Vaughn, had ties to Durant before coming to Brooklyn. Um, you know, he essentially said, will Kevin be surprised about what's going on? No, he'll be in the loop. But, like, will he be consulted? Um, you know, we'll see. Um, a lot of that, to me, is held up. And, you know, to me, it comes down to, you, you know, maybe when you hear this stuff in the moment as a reporter, you kind of mark it down and kind of check your notes on it a few weeks, months later, see how it's held up. A lot of that press conference is held up. So I, I you know... I think it's negligent to say that that was the first day because I'm sure there was stuff brewing at the end of the season, even talking to people. They knew that change was coming just with the way last season went. But I think publicly that was definitely the first domino to fall. Like, this is what's coming. Don't be surprised, right? Sure. So, like, the, uh, let's, the, the, the not giving Kyrie an extension, is is Durant still kind of, you know, wedded to to – to Kyrie and that like lack of commitment from the the I mean wise I think we I think in, in, in a micro sense I think is, is the consensus but that like them not you know uh, agreeing to a a large multi year extension for for Irving is is that part of this also or is 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 Durant, has do you think Durant is sort of would be amenable to not playing with Kyrie and it's something else. I think both, um, you know, I'm trying to pour myself water and it's not going well with one hand and one hand <laughs> with my phone. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to put the Kyrie contract situation as the, the biggest thing that started between the, you know, Kevin in the front office, just because, you know, he got left at the altar by Harden, but they've since reconciled just everything that could go wrong has gone wrong since they got there. And I don't necessarily think it's been one event. Um, I think it's been a buildup for sure. You know, Adam Harrington, who it's interesting. He got let go from the coaching staff, not a guy that I would have said would get, would be, uh, with the organization with Katajic because he was originally hired by Kenny Atkinson. And he was also, he was Steve Nash's teammate in Dallas and was the one that introduced Kevin and Steve on a more personal level. Obviously they played against each other, but, um, you know, that him getting let go, has bothered Kevin clearly. So I don't think it's one thing in the, the Kyrie contract situation being the, uh, the, the big, um, I'm looking for like fire metaphors like you, like the spark plug, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I definitely think it was a part of it. You know, there's been talk of Kevin losing faith in the front office and everything. I think that was part of it, but I, I all, you know, I don't want to read too much into the Travis Scott concert thing, but I do think it was interesting that, you know, it was an ugly ending with James Harden, and yet here, um, here Kevin and James Harden are having a party together and traveling together and everything. So I, 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 I don't. I'd be surprised if Kevin and Kyrie play together again, just based on some things I've seen in public, and then just kind of the way this has gone on behind the scenes too a bit. I mean, that's that's the part that's really weird about it because it did seem like there was at least like prior to the original trade demand, it did seem like there was some messaging or reporting out there that that Durant wasn't necessarily uh enamored of the idea of continuing to play with with Kyrie for I mean the the, the same reasons why you, one might expect in terms of of reliability and and availability. Yeah, absolutely and and to Kevin's credit too. I mean, you know, I I want to say I was at every game this season, maybe one or two. Kevin took a ton of bullets for Kyrie Irving this year. I mean, you know, he uh he blamed his injury, which was a, that freak collision with Bruce Brown on in January against the Pelicans that really changed the course of the season, not Kyrie's vaccine decision. Um, he he defended Steve Nash. I mean, he, to his credit, you know, I, I've said before, like, we should all aspire to have a friend like Kevin Durant. I mean, he, every chance that he had to, to throw a, someone under the bus, in, in, to me, mostly justifiable ways, he didn't do it. And, um... I know maybe he was saving that obviously for the off season where he said like, look, I'll say, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, but I, I, 
to his credit, you know, as wild as it was and as much hints as were being dropped by other people as to, you know, the nature of all this, um, I, I you got to give him credit because given he's a franchise player, I don't think anyone would have blamed him if he were to go that route. You know what I mean? If anything, it would have been like, oh, so, you know, Steve Nash uh, got called out by Kevin Durant. What do they do? Um, so to his credit, he definitely took the high road on a lot of this stuff publicly. But again, as you, as you said, you know, the offseason kind of showed maybe where his real intentions were the whole time. So I, I don't know if it's it's worth. I, I'm not sure how much time it's worth before we get to kind of the the, the front office and and sort of coaching situation because I think that's ultimately where a lot of the the sort of the long term interesting stuff happens. I mean the, the 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 Durant we can presume trade is going to happen or it's not, and what we can uh, speculate about it now or or analyze it when it happens, but. Um, the other part is much more about the direction of the franchise. But, I mean, is there anything that, you know, people should be aware of with regards to the Irving situation? I mean, I think it's it seems if this is this is weird because to say because I think it's so rarely can be said about the player. But it seems like that's a pretty straightforward like he wanted one thing. The team wasn't willing to do that. And so they're kind of looking for uh, for a, a mutual parting of ways. Yeah, you know what's funny to me is I've said this on a lot of the radio hits I've done lately. It's crazy to me how um, Kyrie went from being the bad guy in Nets world to, to KD taking his place. You know, um, Kyrie didn't get the vaccine. He was barely available all season. Um, you know, they have the playoff series in Boston. He's throwing fans the bird and just kind of adding more distraction on what they already had. And now it's like he he's all of a sudden the uh, the – Lesser of the two evils, I guess, is the is the way to put it. I, I said, uh, I I I call. I said, uh, what was the word I used? I did a radio hit out with Sarah Spain. I think I said that Kyrie's the angel between the two, and she's like, "Don't call him an angel." Like, so I'm trying to watch that now. But um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I've said this before, and again, it kind of goes back to my thing of anything's possible. Like, I I expect Kyrie Irving on the Nets roster in training camp and for opening night. From there, I think all bets are off. You know, I've said before, what if the Lakers are having a good year or competitive and they're willing to give up the, the two first-round picks the Nets want from them at the deadline to get Kyrie and make a run at the, at the thing one last time for LeBron? That wouldn't stun me. Um, it wouldn't stun me if Kyrie plays the year out and it's just a mutual parting of ways between him and the Nets to where they both go their separate ways after this year. I think all that's still on the table. You know, the the company line has been, you know, through reports, obviously, that the Nets are going to deal with Kevin and then get to Kyrie. But as you said, it seems like the Nets and Kyrie are in a pretty good place right now for everything I've been told. And, uh, again, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Kyrie Irving ends the season on a different team, especially if he's available and playing well and, you know, teams feel comfortable as going for him as the guy that, you know, as a deadline acquisition to make you go all in. Um, but for right now, I, I think that otherwise those waters are pretty dry, especially given that the Lakers are the only team interested in him right now that we know of. Um, I think that's kind of a moot point unless something changes rapidly on that front. It's I mean, now that I mean the way you I mean the way you walk through it, I guess it makes sense. But I mean, of the, that that next year of the three, Kyrie being the only one who plays for the Nets is an absolutely wild outcome. Yes. Yes. Like, I don't how did we, how did we get here? I don't know. And how is that how is that how does that work? If if that that is where we like I can't like it's like is because of all sort of the intrigue and then you toss Ben Simmons into the mix how does next season turn into any less of a circus just with a less successful team? I like you know, who's the coach? I like help me out here. Help me help me help me make sense of it. Yeah, you know, uh, you talked about earlier about the direction of the franchise. I think that's going to be really interesting because I don't, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. This is my personal belief, but, um, and, and I don't really say this as much as reporting is just of more of what I would do. And if you've read and you've done some of these with me, like those fake trade stories and whatnot, I would be a terrible Sean Marks. Uh, <laughs> you would never hire me to be in your front office set. But, um, you know, my whole thing is I don't really see out Joe Harris who's obviously the, the, you know, Longest tenured player on the roster, you know, has Sean Marks' respect. He gets consulted on major decisions. I don't really think for the Nets to enter this next era, there's really a star on the team to build around. You know, um, I, I've said this before, but with Ben Simmons, first off, I don't really have much else to say on him other than that I'm fully in believe it when I see it mode. 
I drank the Kool-Aid of him playing in the playoffs, and I got burned on that, so I'm not really trying to do that again. Uh, we can talk about him and his fit and all that when he's on the court actually playing. But the, the thing that scares me about him long-term, you know, I covered Michael Porter Jr. when he was in high school and I was in college, and then, you know, my first job out of college when he that year that wasn't at Missouri. His back injuries, you look at that microdisectomy that he had at Missouri that I, I covered, and then... Now Ben Simmons had the same injury. Michael Porter's had multiple back surgeries since. I just, if I were the Nets, I would feel wary of of that being the guy you build around in the near future, just given that, to me, it's inevitable there's another back surgery coming at some point or another. Um, So I almost would think that if Ben Simmons plays, can he play well enough to get a market to where maybe they trade him at some point if they can get a decent return on him? I already mentioned Kyrie, and then we'll see what the return is for Kevin. And and you mentioned the coach. I mean, just with Steve Nash. Steve Nash is halfway through his initial four-year deal. I don't know if he would step down, but my gut is that he will play out that contract and then decide what's next um, and then kind of go from there. So that's why I don't really know. As you said, I don't know how you judge success this year with the Nets, just given all the uncertainty and, and the circus that looks like it's coming. I don't know where some of this stuff is. I think Sean Marks' position is very secure as the GM. Um but from there on, like I, I have, if you were to tell me over under on the roster for 23, 24, um, like three guys on the current roster, I, I don't even know. I, I guess I would take that or push, but I, I mean, I, who knows what's coming. So, so Nash, why does he need this? The coaching job or? Yeah, or, it yeah. seems like, I mean, I mean, you know. You know, he first of all he got he got hired to coach one team. I thought he had a pretty good first year. Um, I the opinions are, are certainly mixed at the second year. I, I, I like it's it's clear that you can't say he did a great job, but what like how much of it was would have would have been salvageable by anybody is an, is an open question. And now it's now like he's been seems like he's been made the scapegoat by the guy who asked for him to be hired. Like if I'm him. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm, I, I can do other things. I can, you know, commentate on soccer. I can, you know, spend time with family, whatever. Like, why do I need this? It's a good question. And I, uh, you know, that's something I plan to ask him on media day because the argument when he took this team that could contend for championships was that he never won a ring as a player. Obviously, he came very close. And uh, if you simulate some of those seasons that he had, his team probably wins if it weren't for some freak injuries or bad luck. Um, now I kind of wonder the same thing. You know, there were a lot of people around Steve Nash when he took the job that were absolutely stunned he took it because he's got five kids. Um, most of them are little, you know, he had a great setup, as you said, with the soccer commentating and flying up to the Bay area a few times a month for the Warriors consultancy. Um, you know, he had a pretty good life before, you know, moving across the country for all this. So that's why I, I, I could answer the past two years why he needed this. Given what's transpired and the other perks he has of being Steve Nash, like, now it's a good question. I mean, is it... Is but it, is I, it, I also don't think he's, like, an, a quitter by nature. You know what I mean? This was one of the toughest guys in the NBA when he played, uh, got beat up a lot, played through it. I don't really think it's in his nature to walk away or quit um, if, if presented the option. That does That seems like an insufficient reason to continue. But, but I agree. Is, to to what extent has it just been like he got in the job and it's like I actually like this. I think that's definitely been some of it. You know, as you said, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's comparing him to Red Auerbach. I thought that first year he was brilliant. This past year, obviously less so, and and partially from things out of his control. You know, I get asked a lot about what do you think of Steve Nash as a coach, and I kind of plead the fifth just because. I don't know if we've seen enough of him with a fully healthy roster without a lot of drama, et cetera, to really get a gauge for that. You know, how much does he play a factor in winning? You know, are there players you can point to, which is also kind of tough because they haven't had a lot of draft picks. Um, How many guys can you point to and say, you know, he's done a great job developing and getting in the ear of right now, the jury's out on a lot of that. So I don't necessarily think that he's a bad coach. I don't think he's a great one or elite one. And I thought this was going to be a huge year for him to prove a lot of that, but now it's starting to look like he's going to have a similar hand to the one he had last year, and it's almost just like, what you know, what do you do? Um, so I that's why again, like there, there's, I don't know what the great answer is with with him, 
other than that, you know, he's he seems to have enjoyed it. He, he's talked about, you know, enjoying the staff meetings and and um, the competitiveness of all this. But as you said, you know, my, my whole thing is just if I were Steve Nash, I, I would have had enough of this and, and be enjoying the lives of being a Hall of Famer. So I uh, his why, as you said, is, is going to be an interesting thing to learn. I, and as far as player development goes, it seems like the the, the one success that you can point to doesn't play for Brooklyn anymore. I mean, it's Bruce Brown and, and it's just like figuring out a, a way for a kind of an oddly, uh, you know, a, an odd fitting player in the modern game in terms of positional skill set. figuring out a way to, to make that, make, make him into a, a very, you know, high contributing member of the team. I mean, I think that, that is probably one thing we would point to as some of it uh, is like the, the biggest unmitigated success on, on his resume. On, well, on if, if I could, if I could play devil's advocate, you remember we did the story together on Bruce Brown becoming the short roll master. Bruce Brown didn't start short rolling until the James Harden trade. And the past two years, he started the year out of the rotation and having to really call for playing time before eventually, um, before eventually getting in and having success. So I, I would argue not to not to take anything away from Steve, but you know, Steve Nash wanted to start the year with Bruce out of the rotation, and, and then when he played him, he made an impact. So, like, I think he deserves credit for that, but I also think that, you know, that's even a situation where you can't really give him straight A's on just based on some of the other factors at hand. <laughs> or am I being too critical? No, no, I think that's, I think that's fair. It's just, like, sort of, uh, like, it, it, it's almost like there, there, there's evidence that uh, – you know, it's sort of in spite of or by desperation rather than by design. Um, so you, you said you said that you think Sean Marks is pretty secure as the GM. Is this basically and this is this is wise, I think. I mean, this is someone who has taken a franchise regardless of how the Durant situation plays out. And yeah, they're out draft picks for Harden, but they're just they're they're so much better off than they were when when Marks took over. And he's already shown that he can build a franchise, you know operating from a deficit of resources. Yes. I I agree with all that. I mean, I would argue first off to your point, Sean Marks has already shown that he can do this in Brooklyn with a similar hand given the one he inherited and why get rid of him for a guy that hasn't proven that just for a change of scenery and everything, you know, one of the reasons I go off of for, for saying Marks will be back, Joe Sy told me when I sat down with him last year that um, that I he said to me, I think we have the best GM in the NBA. I don't know why he would lie to me on something like that, and I don't know really what's changed since he said that to to, uh, to negate that, right? I mean, you know, again, you worked in the front office. You know, they had three max contracts on the books <laughs> to start last season. You're working with the taxpayer exception, your draft picks, and a bunch of minimums, right? So, like, he's – he's and, and, you know, Patty Mills wasn't a bad signing with the exception. Um, the Nets haven't used their exception yet this year. We'll see what happens with that. Um, Mark is pretty thin right now. But, you know, I, I don't know why you get rid of him when – I don't think – I've said this before to people. I don't think what has happened has been Sean Marks' fault per se – some of the handling stars and everything, sure, but like the process to get to where they have to me hasn't been wrong. It's been the people, the process netted, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, I think, I think that why you like what could have changed. I mean, I think that, that you're, you're sort of, uh, when these decisions are made, what's changed, uh, you know, you're applying logic to a situation where it doesn't necessarily exist. We don't have to go back that far to, well, if I could to, defend myself there, you know, Seth, when I started covering the NBA, uh, uh, League executive who I've known from before, uh, I asked for any advice when it comes to dealing with a lot of this stuff. And he says, Alex, common sense is not that common in the NBA. You got to <laughs> apply it wherever you can. Yeah. So that's hence my thesis statement there. Yeah. No, I mean, but, but you know, we're not that far removed from, you know, uh, you know, from, from, uh, you know, Sam Hinkie getting, getting let go because of some negative press that the, that the, the Sixers got for things not really related to, Sam Hinkie. So it's, and, and all of a sudden that snowballed into, you know, about as, as big a 180 in terms of, of franchise outlook as you can imagine, going from, you know, the, the Hinkie to Colangelo. 
uh, in, in that regard. So, I mean, I think that there's, there's plenty, and there's, you know, there's plenty of precedent on, on a much smaller level as well of things changing rapidly. So I, but I think that based on, 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 on Josiah, like taking to Twitter to very publicly back his, his, his sort of his, his executives. Um, I think that probably puts that, that to rest that something hasn't changed. Um, yes. I, you know, people have, have gone both ways with me on this, but I've said that I thought Joe Psy tweeting that out was a smart move, given how much craziness has come from this whole process to begin with. You know, if he doesn't address it, there's speculation of, well, is he going to do it or not, right? I think for him to kind of put that to bed and like, no, we're not cleaning house just to appease Kevin Durant was actually a wiser move than, you know, going silent and letting it linger and then letting speculation lead to, you know, are they, or, you know could they and, and all that. So I, I you know... People have debated me about how savvy of a PR move that was. I'm on the other side of the PR equation, but I actually thought that was a good move on his end. I mean, I think once you make the decision that, it, like, if the decision is truly star or GM, and if you choose GM, once you make that decision, then, you know, I, it, it, I think that you're right. Like, I think there's, regardless of what, you say, what else you say, there's always going to be speculation about a player getting traded. But if you're not going to make changes in the front office... You can you can seemingly put that to bed. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of maybe you, maybe you know, but locally, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of speculation about Sean Marks' job security anymore. No, you know the the interesting thing that that happened with all that. I don't know if you saw this, but um, I, I where a lot of people started to connect the dots on the, these things was uh, around the time that the. Kevin Durant trade trade me or fire everyone between you and me ultimatum came out. There was a billboard story on Kevin's agent slash business partner, Rich Kleiman, in which Kleiman said that he would very much like to run an NBA front office one day. And, you know, there were some people, I was not one of them, but I'd be remiss not to mention that were thinking that this is where, uh, that that would be what would have to happen should they go the route of firing Sean and Steve. And, you know, Rich, I think, was at one point linked to a Knicks front office job around the time Kevin was going to be a free agent. I don't remember how much legs there had there was to that. That was before I was really covering the league. But, um, but that was where a lot of the local talk was, was trying to connect the dots of, is this what was the vision if, they, if the Nets had actually ended up going that route? I mean, with all due respect, the, I, I think if if that's the package deal that 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 you're 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 offering in effect, the decision becomes even easier. Yes, yes, and uh, I'm a New York Mets fan, Seth. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen was an ag- uh, agent turned GM, and uh, he had made some good moves and he made some very bad ones, and uh, he is no longer the GM of the first place and at least leading Mets and. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a very mixed bag in terms of the agents that make the front office route um, across all sports, really. You see Bob Myers, Rob Polinka, Brody. Um, there, there's definitely uh, – I, I don't really think it's one way or the other of, like, they've all been bad or they've all been good. I think it's a very tough thing to project in general. Well, and this would be, like, one step removed. This would be almost uh, closer to – to Nico Harrison getting the Dallas job because because uh, climate is not like the the player agent in the same way he's much more like the the outside business venture partner correct so it's not even yeah not, I mean not even necessarily as immersed in the in the league as a as a high powered player agent would be no exactly I mean I don't remember much of Bob Myers clientele but you know Rob Polinka aside from having Kobe he had Kevin for a minute I think at Iguodala at one point. I mean, he, compared to most guys, had a hell of a Rolodex um, client-wise. And, and Brody Van Wagenen with the Mets had, um, had Robinson Cano, who he illfully traded for, along with, uh, along with some other CAA guys. Um, Nico Harrison was, as you said, a bit of a different one. But he, he had, obviously, access to all of the NBA's biggest stars through the, their Nike contracts. And... Rich Kleiman has represented uh, artists, music artists, I should say, and Kevin Durant. You know, he doesn't have this Rolodex of um, of NBA players that he's dealt with and sat on the other side of the table for. It's only really been Kevin. So it uh, it's definitely it would definitely be a different deal, as you said, than some of these other guys that have made that leap. 
and yeah, and again, that that would strike me as. I mean, obviously, when it comes, to the, it's, it's sort of well known in the NBA that that you know when it tends to, it tends to be when it comes down to star player and coach that that only goes one way in in the most in most cases. This seems like a a, a very different situation. I don't think we've had that many uh, uh, mere the GM situations really. Um, like I, I, I think perhaps in, perhaps in Portland. Oh, but other than that, I can't. I can't really think of one other than 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 recently in Portland. Yes, I want to say you're correct. So I mean that this is a, it's sort of an interesting uh, an, an interesting precedent. I mean, I don't know. Can if we can broaden out a little bit and and this 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 does is this possibly an inflection point in in sort of the uh, maybe last year's Nets were almost the might be seen later as like the peak of, of what people have called the player empowerment era. I've wondered that too. You know, I was saying when the ultimatum first came out and again, this is off the top of my head without extensive research, had Josiah appeased Kevin and fired the GM and the coach. I feel like that would have been unprecedented for an owner to cater to one star player at that level. You know, usually you've seen one go, but not both. Um, and I, I definitely think it's been we, – we're starting to see maybe that bubble pop a little bit. You know, something Steve Kerr said that's really stuck with me is he talked about how when, when Golden State unloaded Andre, Andre Guadalla to Memphis, he thought it was a terrible move. He couldn't believe they were doing it. And ultimately, it was proven to be the right decision. And he just said, he goes, you know, that's why the coach can't be the GM. You know, well, I'm too close to my team to see the logic through it. And I think that that's applicable sometimes to the player empowerment stuff because I think even more so. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think it's. I think it's even. I think it's. It's like you know, the, you're even more like you. That you see, you're even more the trees, not the forest, when you're day to day in actually in the game. I mean, I think that at least a coach has sort of one level of remove, and you're you know you're you're watching a lot of film of of the league and and and, and stuff like that, looking at things in a. In a in in a certain light, um, I think that that you know players are probably can be a, a way too close to, to to the action to really have the the perspective needed to to you know make those big picture decisions. I, I I think it's entirely appropriate and wise for you know your best players, your longest standing players, your you know sort of most important culture guys for whatever that means to have you know. To, to, to have a voice and have input, but like having like the, the deciding voice, it, I think seems kind of crazy. And I, I mean, even, even more than it is to have the, the coach have, have that power. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And that's why I, I think that the, the questions I've kind of asked myself about all this since this started was, have been, what's the proper line to walk? You know, what, uh, because you look at, to me, Golden State's the model franchise right now. They've done everything right. I mean, I, you know, you don't really hear about Steph Curry pushing for this signing or that signing. I mean, he's already got his brother-in-law on the roster, but, uh, but you don't really see a lot of that. And if it, if it does happen in Golden State, you don't really hear about a get out either. I, and that to me is just, I guess, if you're going to have these guys on your roster, which you, which you kind of need to win big, what's the line to walk with them and, and, um, what's the best form of compromise? Because clearly the way the Nets handled it wasn't the best. And, you know, it's worked in other places. And, and that's where I think it's an interesting, almost like case study in some ways. I, I think something you said earlier, like my sort of my baseline intuition is along the lines of something you said earlier is that, you know, I think Golden State is, is you know, people hate when you talk about a franchise being lucky, but Golden State is lucky insofar as Steph Curry is, uh, you know, more in the Tim Duncan area personality-wise than he is maybe a different direction. Yeah. No, that's a good point. He uh, He's not really built on uh, – th- this kind of stuff that we've been discussing doesn't really seem like in his nature compared to some of the others. And it's worth pointing out, right, Sean Marks is a Spurs disciple uh, who happens to be very close with Tim Duncan – and he's tried to run things in Brooklyn the way they have in San Antonio. Obviously, so, the much different results so far. 
So I guess that's that's my question. My my last question to you is, if Sean Marks could, you know, go back and change any sort of decisions, where do you think he would think he would say that that he got he went wrong? Was it firing Kenny Atkinson? Was it allowing, you know, uh, was it you know, uh, imposing DeAndre Jordan as the starter, or was it like? You know what was the line that he wished he wouldn't he wouldn't have crossed? That's a really good question. Um, you know, or is it or is it the situation that at the time each of these decisions was given the available information and it just kind of has has gone the way it's gone? I I kind of lean more toward the latter, and just as based on how they aged, you know, you couldn't get Kevin Durant without Kyrie Irving, and I'm not entirely sure. Again, this was right before I I joined the beat, but how much of a deal-breaker DeAndre Jordan was, but given that they both took less money for him to come, it seemed like that was going to be a tough thing to um, to avoid. And if you're the Nets, who have been you know mostly irrelevant since the failed super team with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, you have to take that gamble. Um, I mean, Kevin Durant, aside from Dr. J to me, is one of the two best players to ever put on a Nets uniform, with no offense to Jason Kidd. Um, so... I don't really disagree with that. Um, I think definitely the choosing DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen did not age well at all. And that was probably one of the first personnel decisions that, that you could have, you, you probably should have been more, uh, more firm about. But, you know, when Steve Nash got asked about Jared Allen, he essentially, the, when, after he got traded to Cleveland the first time they faced him, Steve Nash said, he goes, look, I don't think we were going to be able to afford him, you know, with what we were going to offer in the luxury tax bill. I think we were going to out, be outbid and, you know, it broke our hearts to trade him, but I don't think we're going to be able to keep him, which is interesting because that was the first time he really said that. Um, it, I do not have the ability to go back in time and uh, or pull up what the cap would have looked like with them, but with all those uh, possibilities. But the one thing I'll say to poke a hole in Steve Nash's argument is Joe size so rich. I feel like if he's been comfortable paying the luxury tax with the way he has now, I don't know why that would change to keep a, a homegrown player like Jared. Um, you know, I don't think at the time trading for Harden was a bad move, but given the way his body aged, you know, that that hasn't gone well. I think the jury's still out on the Ben Simmons trade because the guy's yet to play. The vaccine mandate was completely out of um, completely out of everybody's hands except Kyrie's when it came to getting the shot or not uh, personal decision. And then the, uh, you know, the, to me, the, the interesting question, because James Harden and Kevin Durant were getting along fine until Kyrie Irving came back. What does this season look like if Kyrie Irving never gets back as a part-time player and they just wait for the mandate to get weight, uh, lifted in late March. And then the big three is the big three for the end of the regular season in the playoffs. That to me is very interesting. What could have been is that would that have kept, you know, would part time Kyrie, given the impact that had on Harden, um, would that have changed anything or not? That to me is the biggest what if from everything we've discussed. Because in the moment, I don't think it was the wrong move. It aged bad, but I don't think it was the wrong move at the time. We, so we we talked about it at the time, and I I I think uh, not to toot my own horn, but I was I thought it was the wrong move because. Because I thought that there that that uh, you know of the the best outcome for the Nets last year would have been would have been like having all the players available all the time. The second best outcome is to have like you know all the, like some of the players available all the time and other other players available none of the time. And the worst was to have it sort of in the middle. And it felt and I think we, when we talked about this, it felt a little panicky to me at the time. Like they had some injuries, they had some health and safety protocol. You know, at the same time, the whole league was having them, and it was like, uh, "We need a body." Here's Kyrie Kraft. Let's bring him back. And without uh, without maybe as much thought to sort of the impacts that would have. Um, and now maybe that's easy for me to say in retrospect. It having you know blown up beyond what I would you know what even I would have uh, anticipated. But it seemed it seemed like a, a a risky and hasty decision at the time to me. And I mean, Mike Vorkin off to the story on this one. Happened. Kyrie Irving was the NBA's first part-time player since I think like the late '60s when that happened. So obviously, and that was a guy finishing his degree from school, which is crazy to think about at the time. 
But, you know, the Nets, when they made that decision, they had nothing prior to go off of, right? And that, to me, is the risk, is when you have nothing like that, that, that was either going to be, to me, a boom or a bust. I don't really think there's, like, an in-between thing that happens from that. But I, I do think that, that that's the only one I can point to in terms of the availability thing, because if the mandate gets lifted, I think it was March 23rd it got lifted, you give Kyrie two or three weeks to ramp up. Maybe he gets a game or two at the end of the regular season. And then they're probably still in the play-in position. But, are they, you know, look at the way the three of them handled Boston in the first round last year. They smoked them. Um, that was still a close series, even though it was a sweep. How does that age, if, um, if at all, it w- would have been an interesting what if? But, I mean, outside of that, I can't – and that, to me, that's what's kind of made this hard. Like, I don't, I don't think – there's been a decision outside of the Kyrie part-time one that you can point to and say, like, this is where it all went wrong. Like I said, it's been so, there's been so much that's happened. I mean, it's just been a build-up to where I don't, I don't really think if you just change one little thing, there's a gigantic domino effect in terms of this all looks a lot rosier. Like, I think, I think really if you change a couple things, there, there'd probably still be similar results, but maybe a bit of a different play out. And again, do, you know, to me the biggest question is what would have kept James Harden in Brooklyn, because my feel, my belief is that if James Harden was still a net, Kevin Durant's trade request is not a thing, and they are still built to contend for years to come. Uh, I think the biggest question is what is Kyrie get? Does Kyrie get in the shot? Solve all this, or is it something else? And that, to me, that's what you talk about. Sean, in what what Sean Marks's do over would be outside of maybe breaking into Kyrie's house and injecting him in his sleep. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know what's problematic the, in other ways. Yes, there there's a couple of there's a couple of crimes there that that would get him probably removed as GM had he done that. Um but really out, outside of that and the part you know bringing him back part time, I don't really know if there's anything else you could you could judge in the moment because I mean again, you were with us when it happened. I don't really remember Sean Marks getting killed for the James Harden trade and what he sent out really until um, things started to go awry in Brooklyn this past year. You know, that first year when, when James Harden was kicking ass, he looked like an MVP candidate, etc. There wasn't really a lot of talk of, can you believe this happened? It wasn't really until the James Harden trade rumors the Philly picked up to where you started to wonder, like, wow, is he going to be gone a year after coming here? Well, I mean, you think of everything that had to go wrong in the, in the, in the playoffs for them, in the Bucks series for them. You know, they're and, and they still lose it by, you know, a toenail, basically. Um, and that, you know, is that like the difference between them actually, even with injuries, do they, if if Durant isn't towing the line on that on that on that three at the end of games at the regulation game seven, is that do they win the title that year? And then it, you know, kind of goes so hard the other way. Um, I, yeah, I guess the, the like of the things in his control, I guess you almost bookend it. Um, with like the at the beginning and end of this sort of era, like could he have pushed back harder on the DeAndre Jordan thing? In so far as bringing in DeAndre and and installing him kind of as the starter, um, was was the the giving a little too much to the players, and at the end was making this move. Like those were maybe the two bookends, and it seems like one of them is is sort of more more. From my, my from my standpoint, understandable than the others. Well, if this is what it takes to get KD. This is what it takes to get KD. And I guess the only the only question you have there is this is what it takes to get KD, who's coming off an Achilles and won't play for a year. But it's a but it's still hard given you know where Brooklyn was when he took over to to go the other way. So I I guess that's an unknowable question. But I uh, but I I. I I mean, I guess I largely agree with you that that you know, aside from again that last little one, it, it's it's hard to say in the moment. Nope, nope. Would wish I had done that differently. Yeah, and and to add on to some of your points, I mean, hypothetically, uh, talking about how I don't, I'm not necessarily sure one thing changes the domino effect. Let's just say DeAndre Jordan plays behind Jared Allen. Does that prevent Jared Allen from getting thrown into the James Harden deal? Does it prevent them from making the Harden deal at all? You know. I don't know. I don't know if the answer to that is definitive. Yes. You know, I've always kind of wondered what the Nets would look like if they never traded for Harden because that team and, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie tearing his ACL, which was, again, another thing out of Sean Mark's control and hurting their point guard depth. Um, if, if that team never gets hurt and they never trade for Harden, their top 10 would have been KD, 
uh, Kyrie, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, Torian Prince, and I'm tr- Bruce Brown, and I'm trying to remember, and Jeff Green. That's team. not a bad. That's not a bad top ten. You could, you know, for a playoff team. And again, Spencer tours ACL game three at Charlotte, but but. I've always wondered if that team stayed together as is, what kind of damage could they have done um, as a as a unit? You know, would, would that have been a, enough alone on depth to win the whole thing? Would they've even needed James for that? I don't know, but um, but that's why to me some of this stuff is is a waste of conversation because all right, you start Jared over DeAndre and kind of don't give the, those guys their way a ton from day one. Does that really prevent you from doing the Harden trade? I don't think that would have stopped me from trading for James Harden. Um, so I, uh, that, that's what makes it such an interesting and, and complex thing to me is that I don't necessarily, again, I don't think it boils down to just one thing. Well, I imagine we're going to be like, we're probably going to be talking about this the rest of the summer. Um, unfortunately for your, right. uh, your, your ability to get some time off and, uh, and maybe for, you know, maybe it's, it's going to be an interesting, uh, uh, this whole situation is going to be an interesting, uh, debate point used to prove all different kinds of, of perspectives over the coming years. Yeah, no, I, uh, I don't think this is going away anytime soon. I don't know what Kevin Durant trade out there right now makes sense. And, uh, what the Nets do with all this is going to be interesting because uh, to me, the Kevin Durant trade is now the most important thing in Nets franchise history, right? They can't screw this up in my opinion. Well, so no pressure there. Uh, no, Alex, Alex Schiffer of the athletic. Thanks. Thanks again for uh, taking some time in your not vacation to, uh, to chat about why you're not getting a vacation. And uh, uh, I'm sure we'll speak again at some point about uh, how this resolves and, and and what what zaniness is going on in in Brooklyn next year? Yes, I uh, I like the way you put all that. I'm sure I'll be back because there's all the I'm, I'm sure we'll find a way to get together again on all this. All right, thanks a lot, Alex, and thanks for. I am back tomorrow with uh, another athletic beat writer, but from a different sport. Uh, Daniel Popper wrote a really interesting article today about uh, the the. Uh, the head coach of the San Diego Chargers and his use of, of analytics and some very interesting things were said there. And we're going to discuss that tomorrow. So hopefully you join me then. And thanks a lot for listening.